to the show as you can tell um so please let me know what you think of that hopefully it didn't blow out your ears with the explosion uh but today we have a super awesome episode we got to interview scott talinsky of level up tutorials and syntax.fm um, and he came on and answered a bunch of questions that uh, we had and some of our listeners had uh, about development his workflow uh, his teaching philosophy all that good stuff and then also got him to talk about game of thrones and kung fu movies so uh, it was really, really fun, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Also, a quick note, um, the episode starts a little funky because of some recording snafus, so I snuck in a question about React Native and decided to keep it in the show. Uh, with that being said, I uh, hope you guys enjoy. Hey, what's the uh, what's the next course coming up for Level Up Tuts? Or are you allowed to say? Um, oh, yeah, definitely allowed to say. Um, <laughs> I... It's uh, it's going to be on React Native, and okay. most of it is done. It's being recorded by a React Native expert, uh, Spencer Carley. Really? He has a lot of content on YouTube. Uh, he's really good. His, his, his um, I don't know, his style was very much like mine when, when we met up at a coffee shop out here while he was in town, and we, we chatted about it. And, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a really talented dude, so I'm pretty psyched because... Um, all of his content's great. In fact, I learned a lot of stuff about React Native first from him initially. So I'm happy to have him, him teach a, a good one. So, Are you worried at all about like React Native kind of falling out of favor in, in lieu of some other technology coming up like Flutter or something? I don't think so. No, I mean, like... it, it's pretty widely used. And it, it's pretty dang easy, React Native. If you know React, um, the ability to build some of the stuff you can build with React Native is like, it's trivial, you know, so it's pretty sweet. Yeah, you remember the um, the Airbnb article I think that came out where they kind of they dunked all over React Native yeah. and said we're yeah. we're done with it basically. Yeah, I think I mean I think at some level the cool thing about React Native is you can like eject from it at any point. So like if you get to a size where you are Airbnb, then you can you can leave out of React Native if you want to because you have the engineering team to do so. But okay. uh, I, I think in terms of like there are so few apps the size of Airbnb that it it's not going to be a problem for 99% of people using it. So did they kind of outline that it was a performance thing? And I think there so the, some of the issues with React Native are around upgrades, uh, just some complexity that gets introduced between the compiler of like the React code to the platforms. And you end up with a lot of these weird little edge cases. And since you're building for iOS and Android in the same code base, it can get really messy if you have a lot of uh, differences between the iOS and Android implementations or you need to have different implementations. Um, so I think some of it was just around the speed at which they were able to produce things. If they were to have like designated Android and iOS developers just do their own thing, they could probably be more efficient. And since you can just eject out of it, I'm sure that's what they did. Okay. But yeah, I, I kind of figured that as long as you were basically using Flutter or React Native or whatever as kind of a, a web app wrapper in a way, like as long as you're not touching the native APIs, like it doesn't really matter which one you use. Yeah. I, I mean, I, th I think React Native is, is incredible for what it does, even beyond just a, a wrapper, you know? Like, right. 
uh, the interactions with the native APIs are just all really good. The problem is, I think it's just it can get out of hand at a huge scale, but like at a at a normal scale, it's it's like it's great. Cool. cool. Okay, so I think Eddie has his kinks ironed out at this point. Yeah, it lo- cool. It looks like it's recording now. I'm seeing something on screen. He, he thinks he's recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can. Yeah, just we're good. All right, cool. so. Um, I'll just kind of walk us in. Welcome to Tech Junior. Uh, I'm Lee Warwick, full stack um, JavaScript developer. I have with me Eddie. Hey, I'm Eddie. I'm also a JavaScript uh, full stack developer and a designer. And we have a special guest today. We have with us Scott Talinsky, if you want to introduce yourself. Oh, hey, sorry. Hey, uh, um, yeah, my name is Scott Talinsky. I'm a dev from Denver, Colorado. And uh, yeah, happy to be here. Awesome. So, um, Scott graciously agreed to carve out a little piece of his time and join us on the show and answer uh, some questions that not only we have, but uh, other junior developers out there have. And so uh, we're just going to kind of hammer Scott with a bunch of questions and and see what he comes up with. Cool. Sounds good. So, Eddie, you want to maybe go right off the bat and ask number one? Oh, so I'm starting? Yeah, okay. Um, But first, I want to say I I listened to your um, podcast with uh, Travis Nielsen. Oh yeah, it was it was awesome. I listened to it twice. Um, he spoke about ritual and mm. coming home and getting into a mode where you're, you know, do your family time and then you go and try to produce something. I was wondering if you can talk about what your ritual is and maybe how sure. that's changed since you started. Yeah, yeah. how we've interrupted it today. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, it's it's actually not being too interrupted. So no, you guys are fine. Today is um. It's hard for me to get any work done on Mondays because Mondays are the day that we record syntax. So by the time it's like 1230, I'm, I haven't done anything other than record several episodes of syntax. So like at this point in time, it's like hard for me to get into coding for the rest of the day. Maybe I'll do an hour or two or something, or, or I'll try to tackle email or plan things for the rest of the day. So Mondays for me are like part of my ritual is sort of Mondays. It's like the buffer between the weekend and the the start of the hard work week for me. Um, but typically my rituals are, uh, really in, um, based around the content production. And I have, because I, I, I do so many things. I, for those of you who don't know, I record video tutorials. I run a business. I am the co-host of the syntax podcast. Um, and all of these things take up different amounts of time for me and in different ways. And I like to sort of batch things together. So rituals for me are largely based around keeping like things together. And so my rituals extend over the course of a month. Um, I used to work for a magazine, Guitar World magazine. And uh, What? Really? Yeah. Yeah. My awesome. name's in like 12 issues or something like that. As the, I, I did, you know, they came with the CDs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I did the video editing and the uh, filming of the musicians as a summer job once wow, uh, my un- cool. my uncle was the editor-in-chief of that magazine for like 20 something years so if you open pretty much any issue um i don't even know from like the 90s to like 2015 or something you, the editor-in-chief brad talinsky he looks a lot like me Holy <laughs> smokes. you'll see I've... him in those magazines you'll pop one open if you have one around and you might see him I've probably bought a good portion of those in that time period. So, oh yeah, that, that's that crazy. Was a, too. It was a great job, and uh, obviously, I have my my uncle to thank for that. And um, but so I, I got used to working at a magazine schedule where you worked really hard for a month, 
and then you know the magazine is done and then you work really hard on the next one and it's almost like you have to forget about it so i work really hard on a tutorial series but now that i am working with a video editor the first 15 days of the month are dedicated to me really hustling on recording that and the second 15 days of the month are more uh about me hustling on code because i'm also a dev for the code base so uh, also running a business and all of these things require me to record syntax on Mondays. So I have four days of every single month to align my, my schedule with what I have to do. Um, but the ritual aspect of it for me day to day is that I maintain that structure and that schedule on a, a larger sense so that three o'clock on Mondays, I can go to the gym so that by the time I'm done at the gym, my wife arrives home with our, our son and she comes home. Um, and so that way I can get some gym time in. Then Courtney comes home, we dinner, uh, we play with Landon and then Landon goes to bed. And then, you know, the evenings for me, it depends sometimes on, uh, Mondays and Wednesdays because those are or Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. Those are like my, my gym days. I don't get the coding done that I need to get done during the day. So I'll spend an extra couple hours grinding on that stuff after he, he goes to sleep. Other times I go to dance practice. Um, or dance. I, I, uh, have been breakdancing for like 15 years. So I'll go to dance practice once or twice a week, depending on how I'm feeling. Um, and then, you know, obviously spending time with my wife as much as possible in between all of that. So cool. Uh, but yeah, I've been, I've been getting a lot better at unplugging completely on the weekends. And then specifically, uh, I've been doing a lot of like not gardening, but like landscaping and things in my own yard as just a, a way to accomplish something in a, a mode that's completely outside of my computer. And I've been really loving it the past couple of weeks. It's been really helping me out, I think. Awesome. So do you, do you find you're more productive if you do like the gym thing during the day instead of in the evenings? Um, I do the gym thing during the day specifically because that's the only time I can. Um, because once Courtney's home, uh, she, she typically, uh, She's pregnant right now, but she typically would spend uh, her hour, hour and a half in the gym or so. And then we would eat dinner and I would watch Landon while she was in the gym. Um, so it basically worked out so that it was the only time I could do it outside of like eight o'clock at night. And um, because I like to go to dance a couple week nights a week, I don't know. It just felt like that was the only time I could could fit it in. You know, it was that or nothing. Cool. Um Eddie, did you have a follow-up or? Um, no. Uh, well, as as far as, because um, you mentioned the recording and now I guess you have someone editing your videos for you. Did yeah. you start, I guess since you had the experience, you were editing the videos yourself in the beginning? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've been editing my videos personally since uh, 2012, so um, for a long time. Okay. Did it take a little and while to get used to be being in front of the camera and like putting the courses together and things like that? Um, I don't know if it, it took a little while. It took a little bit of, um, just not, not caring about it. I didn't okay. put myself on video for, <laughs> um, like since until like 2015, maybe like for a long time, I was just, you know, headless voice on a, um, a just screen, like recording. screen capture. Yeah, so I would do screen recording for everything and then just my voice. So by the time I was on camera, I was very experienced talking in front of a microphone. 
Uh, but I did have to like try to look more comfortable. Uh, I, I, it's funny cause my, my dad will pop on occasionally one of my videos and he has just a good eye for that kind of thing in general. And he would just be like, so I think in your video, you have to like adjust this kind of way. Um, and just give me some feedback. It's, it's so funny cause he's, he's really all, he's like all about helping me in that sort of way. And I, I absolutely, you know, appreciate it. It was so funny. I was giving uh, a talk at, um, just, it was like a react meetup and they were live streaming it. And my dad put on the live stream and, uh, I didn't get, I didn't notice this until after I got off the stage, but when I looked at my phone, he was sending me text messages in the <laughs> middle of my thing saying like, you're talking a little fast right now. Like just like trying to help out. Like, do you think I was going to like look at my phone in the middle of talking up there? But it, I mean, uh, I, it took a lot of self editing and self adjusting, but just like not, I don't know. It's not necessarily not being afraid to do it or not caring to do it because, uh, I think you have to care a certain amount and, uh, or else it's, it's not going to be, um, improving, but for me, it's just, it's, I, I got used to it. I got comfortable, uh, voice wise, and then I could work on things at a time. I wasn't overwhelming myself with, all right, now you have to talk in front of a microphone and you have to look okay on camera and you have to know what you're talking about. Like I, I got to approach all of those sort of a little bit separately. Okay. That, that's cool that I guess your dad has like an eye for the editor stuff because he did it for so long. But does he have any interest in like coding or he just suffers through oh, it? Because no, no, I don't, I don't know <laughs> if he uh, listens to the content. Um, a lot of my talks are like even soft skills based because um, there's, there's a lot of like more technical people, library authors and things who are going to give better talks in some ways than me in, in that regard. Um, but, you know, I, I'm good at I'm good at teaching people things and that doesn't always translate into a, a great um, presentation in that sort of way. But no, um, he has no interest in, in coding other than he is an engineer himself. Um, my uncle was the one who was the editor of the magazine. My, my dad is a, um, uh, automotive engineer. So he has this sort oh, okay. of creative problem solving technical brain. And, and in, I think in any sort of situation, I think if he grew up in a different time, maybe computer programming could have been something that, you know, because we, we share a lot of the same skills, I think, um, the way we think. So, yeah. Okay, cool. cool. Um, so that kind of led into a couple of different points that you mentioned. First of all, like you mentioned, maybe there would be better people to give talks. Do you ever feel imposter syndrome yourself? Or is that ever you're ever like, oh, I'm in over my head? Or um, Yeah, I think pretty much all the time. Uh, all the time? I think that, well, <laughs> I think that's something that you it's not something that is one, a bad thing or two, uh, something that is unique. I feel like most people who get up to a certain level, uh, of producing content and releasing it feel like there is a percentage of people who aren't going to find it helpful or they're not going to be into it or whatever. And for me, overcoming the ideas of a pot imposter syndrome for me, it's like a, a lot less of like, realizing that those aren't the people that I'm trying to reach and I don't care about the people that are are into my uh, way of teaching and my way of explaining things are going to come to my content and they're going to, you know, purchase it or watch it or, or, or share it or whatever. And those people are going to be into it. So if, I don't know, if, if there were, if, if they're getting value out of what I'm producing, then, then what I've produced has uh, given them value in that sort of way. And, and therefore, negates the the fact that I'm an imposter. You know, I'm actually providing value uh, 
instead of, you know, to the people that are uh, consuming it. So do you ever have people come in and just kind of nitpick your code or yeah. shoot you emails oh. that are just like, oh, well, actually, you should do it like this? Or Yeah, I, I got I got like I got well actually on my own stack the other day via an Instagram DM. I had like posted something and I was like, oh, I'm using Apollo, not not Redux because they were like talking um, some trash about Redux. And I was like, well, I'm using Apollo anyway, so it doesn't matter. They're like, well, Apollo is built on Redux. And I was oh just boy. like, oh, my God, it's not anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's my own stack, man. I should know. Like, what are, what are you trying to – you don't even know the thing you're criticizing me about. But a lot of times people do. They'll come in and I have a, I have a way of teaching sometimes that's like, uh, let's say I'm teaching you a concept in my React animation course. And uh, we did a, just ba- a basic toggle. Instead of doing like the most robust toggle possible, I'm going to do a little quick and dirty toggle because the toggle itself isn't the important or, you know, important part of what I'm trying to teach. It's the animation aspect, right? The toggle secondary. The fact that it is toggling allows the animation to happen, but I'm not teaching you how to write a toggle. So uh, what really bugs me is when I'll do a tutorial like that and somebody will be like, your toggle code should look like this. I'm like, (laughs) I don't care about the toggle code. Why do you care about the toggle code? Like, if you know it, a better way to do it or a different way to do it, then do it that way. That's not that's not what I'm teaching you. Um, so, you know, I, I, I get a lot of people nitpicking my my code specifically, and I've gotten so, so good about deleting all of those comments. <laughs> like, I just, nope, <laughs> not helpful. Delete it, yeah. Just to heck with the haters, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> So that actually, um, you're kind of moving through some of the stuff that we had planned out anyway. Um, cool. I really wanted to ask about your teaching philosophy because Eddie and I are, are kind of interested in helping out people new to development. And so you kind of have to scope what you're talking about for mm-hmm. a certain audience that maybe doesn't know all of this jargon and terminology and stuff. So when you're writing stuff for Level Up Tuts, like, do you target zero experience people or do you expect them to know like basic javascript or what where do you how do you come at that problem yeah it's a big problem because everybody comes no matter where they came from everybody comes with different levels of things that they know and things that they understand or things they believe to be true about computer programming or javascript or any of these things right um so for instance like i think this is like a common thing i like to to teach or I mean, like to talk about when I talk about teaching and I did like a meteor course at some point. And, uh, in, in meteor, you had these methods where you're just passing data and on the server side, you would just have essentially a function. Well, that function lives inside of an object of methods. And a lot of times people would be like, I'm having so much problem with this meteor method syntax. I can't get it to work. So in my teaching, I would, instead of just being like, okay, now we're going to use the the method to do the API call or whatever, throwing out a bunch of jargon, I would explain it in more basic terms. Like, since this is just a JavaScript object, it's nothing special. It needs to look and function like any other JavaScript object. And I try to relate things as much as possible to core concepts or things that people would be more likely to pick up. Because if it's some meteor method thing that they've never heard about before, uh, then they're going to have to learn entirely something that's totally separate. This meteor method—it's its own thing, right? No, it's—it's it's not its own thing. It's a—it's a just an object with a function in it. That's it. Object with a function in it. Okay, now you know that. Instead of having to um, 
connect something that you never knew to something that you're just learning now, uh, you have something that is already most likely existing in your brain. So I, I don't know. I try to teach my, my courses in a way that I have a baseline assumption at the beginning of the course. If it's a React animation course, the baseline assumption is that you have used React and that you're fairly comfortable with it, right? I'm not going to teach you the React basics at that point. But if it's a React basics course, I'm going to assume that at very, at very most, you know enough JavaScript to write a, a console log in the browser. I'm not going to assume that you, or even like a function or a variable. I'm not going to assume necessarily that you've ever used dot map to create a new array. I'm not going to assume uh, a lot of things, but I will assume that you at least know that these things exist. So it really depends on on the, the context. If I'm teaching JavaScript 101, I'm starting with, this is a variable, this is a function, you know? So it, it all depends on the context of the thing we're teaching itself. Uh, another thing is I don't like to involve too many extra things when I'm teaching something, right? A lot of times you'll see a tutorial and this tutorial will be for React and Redux and a whole bunch of libraries and whatever you're saying, like Thunks, or you're, you're bringing in like several APIs, several backends, several different things. And what it does is it increases the surface area of what somebody may have need to have experience in and you're widening it too much. So I usually try to keep things pretty, pretty basic and pretty tight in terms of integrations and things like that. Cause, um, obviously there's a whole host of issues that come along with bringing on a bunch of libraries and any tutorial and it, it just becomes very brutal pretty quickly. Right. Right. So, uh, do you have courses that target like the very, very beginner audience or, it depends. I have some stuff on YouTube that I've done. Um, one of my series that I did on YouTube that was pretty popular was the how to build your first website. And this is like not how to build your first modern website in 2019. This is like open up a file. Here's a HTML head and body. Here's what a block is. Here's what an inline block is. Here's uh, absolute. Oh, you need to change the background. Here's how you create a new CSS file, link it, write a class and do that CSS. So, um, there's absolutely everything from that level of basic until, um, you know, writing complex stuff in, in react and whatever. So yeah, I do a lot of it's mostly my free content, uh, because I feel like there's a lot of that content available. So I would like to give that out for free rather than have it be under the pro subscription. And then a pro subscription content is usually for somebody who's a professional, uh, either like a, you know, a graduate of a, a boot camp or a um, junior developer somewhere, or even a senior developer or teams uh, producing code. Okay. So um, I'd be curious to know if you have like access to any metrics for your audience or if you kind of get like feedback on the skill level of, of people or how that helps drive like maybe what courses you decide to make. Yeah, I think Level Up Tutorials since its inception has always been about um, sort of latest stuff and not necessarily most popular stuff. So I do talk to my audience, but it's mostly through our community on Slack. And um, we do have some voting on the Level Up Tutorials for pros, but it's kind of out of date. I need to update that like ASAP. Um, 
but for the most part, what I do is I have a listing of potentials and I just sort of keep my ears open for either advancements or changes in those potential platforms or maybe little bumps in their popularity in a way that makes me want to create a tutorial series for it. Like my first popular tutorial series ever was on SAS and it was before anybody had really heard of SAS. It was when it was still like Ruby SAS and um, it was pretty difficult to get up and running. It was actually mostly used with Hamel at that point in time. So like my first tutorial course was on a, a thing that not a whole lot of people were using at the time and then people started using it and then my my videos became the go-to. And so I've always preferred to not necessarily keep it onto things that are um, new necessarily, but more or less exciting, different, and things that are have the potential to be very, very popular because of their usefulness. Uh, I think, I honestly think like one of my tutorial series on Meteor, I honestly think that Meteor could have had a, a different situation than it's in now popularity wise, if it was introduced just with a couple of different key features, because that was one of those texts I really believed in, um, you know, being really, really a, a great project. Um, but no, I don't, to answer your question about the metrics, I don't have any metrics. I try to stand, I tend to stay away from metrics a little bit, um, just because really? I've, I've always sort of trusted my gut and it's always done me well. I'll, I'll have a series that flops here and there, um, but even a lot of the ones that flop, it's almost because they were too early or um, the the audience just wasn't there for it in the way that uh, they needed to be at the time it was released. Cool. Cool. Um, so I have a quick question. Um, well, be real quick. Uh, so why did you start Level Up Tutorials and what was the push that kind of got yeah. you um, working on it? Yeah, I... Uh, at the time I was watching, it was like sort of, there wasn't like a ton of YouTube channels. And as far as like coding channels went, there was only like one or two, like, and I don't even want to say good coding channels, but like decent quality, like as in you could hear the audio very well. You could see what the person was typing. And I, re I remember just like watching some of them and, and the topics weren't on things that I was learning and thinking that, hey, I could kind of do this. Uh, and I bet this guy makes some money on it. And then you would look at their social blade stats and see, oh, well, they could, they're actually, yeah, they're making some money. I've since learned that, you know, obviously those statistics and those numbers from the social blade stuff are totally wrong. But um, <laughs> it, it at least inspired us to be able to be like, oh, maybe we could get our rent paid, uh, me and my, my boss. Maybe we could get our rent paid by, you know, creating some YouTube content. So we both just started recording things and uh, throwing them up there and we took on different topics. I was doing initially SAS and Magento and Drupal, and he was doing st uh, Statomic and Expression Engine. And I think he was doing some WordPress stuff. Uh, but we just started putting this content out because, hey, you know, maybe we can make a buck here or two. And uh, there's a lot of undocumented stuff about a lot of these platforms we're using specifically in my mind drupal was sort of a nightmare about that where um even the official like readme on a package that was community um they weren't just like updating the docs it's like you update the package but it doesn't work the same way that the docs are or the screenshots are wrong or a tutorial's wrong here or there so we just started documenting this stuff that we thought was 
like the easy stuff of these platforms that we felt had been neglected in the tutorial scene. And it turns out they were definitely neglected because uh, people latched onto them pretty quickly. And, um, and it, you know, it's just that I think the, we, we put out a lot of content in the first year, like 200 some videos. And I, I think that just grew it from there and there. And um, so I, I started with my boss, Ben Schaff, and then he has since left Level Up Tutorials um, later that year. He, uh, he His family life is um, just with work and, and he has a, a few kids and it's just a lot of stuff to do and handle. So uh, he wasn't able to take it on, but uh, we still keep in touch all the time. So what uh, what were you guys working on, or was that like a company, or are you guys both freelancing, or we both worked for a dev agency or a, a design agency in Michigan, and it was a small agency, like twelve people that worked there. It's QLTD, and um, it's funny. I think the Q website was still like an old website that I I built a long time ago. I don't know what the URLs for that QLTD.com. Yeah, I built the site a while ago. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that's fun. Uh, but yeah, so. Um, it's just a design agency and we had a lot of stuff from the university of Michigan. We had some conferences as clients, some, some interesting work. And, um, we just built, we just built stuff. I, I largely built Drupal sites. He largely built expression engine sites, which is sort of why we gravitated to the tutorials that we did when we, uh, when we, uh, decided to create tutorials in the first place. Uh, I had a quick question. Um, do you Think about how um, you would maybe get uh, your kids to to code, or if you would want to present that to them, like how you'd do it. Yeah, well, it, it depends uh, because my wife and I, we both have very different brains. Um, okay. She's an educational psychologist. She is a, a brilliant writer. Um, she writes these long technical reports. Um, and, and, and they're just like amazing. So she has like a very different skill set than I do a very different skill set. I'm, I'm the creative spatial sort of, um, that, that kind of eye. And, and she's definitely, um, just, we're just very far apart in how we're, how we're smart. She's, she's very, very smart. Uh, so if, if our son or daughter, um, tend to gravitate towards how either of us work i think that we will like really have to explore that because they i think think if i would have started from a younger age with the kind of programming that i'm doing now uh things would be you know i'd, I'd be a little bit further ahead and i think I, I probably would have gravitated towards it a lot when i was a kid um so in terms of like how i, I think we're just going to get them into sort of stem and like science games um mm -hmm. initially to see if they can you know, Excel or they're into it or whatever, and, and just kind of flourish that. Um, but in terms of computer programming specifically, I think there is, I think there's value in kids learning all sorts of like logic-based um, basic if stuff and conditionals and functions and that sort of thinking and those sort of ideas. I, I think that's an important thing to teach any of them, any kids or, you know, both of our children. So I don't know at what point, but I think, I think we, we would probably just get them into games that are, are based around that kind of thing. You know, to be honest, I haven't uh, looked into the best ways to teach a, a, a child programming yet other, outside of HTML for babies, which sucks, JavaScript <laughs> for babies, which also sucks. 
<laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know there's like a scratch from MIT, and then I think yeah, Eddie knew uh, one of them that he. Uh, my before. daughter's doing. I think it's called Sploder. It's Sploder. Kind of like um, it's a drag and drop kind of level creator type of thing. It's uh, cool. That what she was building was uh, platformers. And yeah. she would make like four okay. or five levels and then ask me to try to play through them. They're very <laughs> hard. <laughs> but uh, it was cool. Yeah, she really likes it. I know yeah. there's some games out there where you can like drag and drop instructions for like a robot to follow or something, which are yeah. kind of Yeah, cool. I want to do all of that stuff. And I, it's like <laughs> going to be wild to, to know that in a couple of years or a year or so that Landon and I are going to be able to do that kind of thing. Um, I'm just really excited about it. I think that that is really like the visual programming languages is something that I'm very fascinated in because my first programming language uh, was all visual based myself. And I, for a long time, this is like, like, I don't know, high school and, and pre high school, middle school. Uh, for a long time, I was sort of like, why aren't all programming languages visual like this? And it's, it's since like, I've changed my, my mind on that, uh, just because of the efficiency of, of programming. But mm -hmm. I, at one point I was just like, this makes so much sense to drag this block here and do this. And then this controls this to like th this programming language is called max MSP and it's for audio and video manipulation. And one of the things is that if you wanted like a timer, you would, here's your timer. It fires every hundred seconds or every second or whatever. And it just fires a signal. Well, you could loop that back around here. That's triggering a, you know, just a Boolean on or off, or maybe it's triggering a gate. And it's almost like, like circuit diagrams or something where it's just, um, open and close and, 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 and essentially circuits and connections. And it just made so much sense to me to have that all laid out visually. And, and I almost think like that now when I'm programming today, like what does the visual of this, this structure look like? So do you think that's like maybe one of the pitfalls of um, like people that are just getting into to programming, just everything's text-based and it's kind of hard to visualize what's going on or. I think it all depends on the brain. It all depends on like the human being uh, and like what their skills are. For me, I'm a very visual person. Uh, I, my, my, I don't want to say my IQ test was invalidated. That's not like the right word. My wife always corrects me when I, I say something about this because um, <laughs> she, she, uh, when she was getting her PhD, she did all like the psychological tests ever on me because it's like, yeah, I'm here. I'm a free test subject. Right. And one of them was the IQ test that she had to do. And my short term memory was very, very low. <laughs> <laughs> or it's like my verbal short-term memory or one of these things that she's, she's going to laugh at when she listens to this, but like it's, <laughs> it's the verbal short-term memory. I believe it's, it's very, very, very low. And my visual spatial skills are very, very high. Uh, and so because of the disparity between those two numbers, I'm not allowed to have an actual IQ. Uh, it doesn't give me, the test doesn't spit me out a number like it would for normal people <laughs> because I have some very low lows wow. and some high highs. So uh, it's like hilarious that I learn a very specific way. And that for me is visually, it's spatially, it's I can look at these blocks and see these structures and patterns and whatever, where so many other people are, are good at reading and analyzing and whatever. It's one of the reasons why I like can't read blog posts to save my life. I'm just a terrible reader. Um, my my short-term memory makes reading very difficult for me. And it, it you know, coincidentally made some of my teachers either think that I have dyslexia or I potentially do. I don't even know. <laughs> so it's like, it's like my, my reading and comprehension skills are just not good. So, um, 
programming in a certain way is it's not good for me to learn like that. It's it's good for me to learn visually, and and I know that so many people are completely different. You know, so everybody approaches it differently. Are you not one of those people that like sits down and reads the docs, or do you like read source code, or? I read the docs like after I try things or if I'm in the process of trying things, but I'm not going to read the docs to start. Uh, I'm definitely, it depends on the type of thing. If it's something that I think I can figure out, I'll start and I'll just start coding and then I'll hit a problem and then I'll look to solve the problem and I'll hit a problem and I'll look to solve the problem. And then all of a sudden I know all of the ins and outs of the things I'm trying to do just because of the the er error correction along the way sort of system that I have. But it depends if, if I'm saying, okay, well now I have to do an API call for this. Let me look at that. And I'll like, look at the docs. I'll look at the, the, like, um, I'm more like of a fan of like the JS doc style thing or where they'll have the, here's your method. Here's a one sentence about what it does. Here's the ins and outs, blah, blah, blah. That's it. And I'm much better at looking at that than I am a paragraph or two paragraphs about the nuances of this thing. Um, I'm much better basically just looking at the the code itself with some helpers about how to do it rather than um, instructional text necessarily. I really like that answer because I always see people say, oh, just read the docs or the docs are so amazing or something. Yeah. And I just, you know, even the React documentation, I read it and it just makes zero sense to me. There's, and I really have to try the code and, and kind of make something to understand it. Yeah. And a lot of that to me comes down to like even jargony stuff. Sometimes like when I was trying to learn um, Redux for the first time, I think the jargon just got in the way so much. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people tell me that my Redux course was like the only one they could follow because I truly had a hard time following the documentation myself. And a lot of the tutorials that came out were just re not necessarily regurgitating the uh, regurgitating the documentation, but they were using the same vocabulary, the same way of explaining things in the same uh, just sort of general style. And for me, uh, a lot of that stuff just gets in the way of, of what the actual concepts are. Here's a thing that fires a thing that does a thing for you. It doesn't all need to be actions and reducers and thunks and this and that. It just needs to be thing does thing does thing and and try to get it into a way that's like it here's its most simple understanding of what the heck this thing's actually doing cool um yeah redux is definitely a thing that just bakes my noodle and yeah, my brain turns to mush uh eddie and i had to work with um ngrx, NGRX as like our first experience as like professional developers oh, at nice. work and that was miserable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never used NGRX, but uh, I, I can imagine if it's anything like Angular. Um, uh, one person the, with the described added it. TypeScript. Yeah. There. One dev said, um, it's as if someone looked at Redux and said, hmm, this needs more boilerplate. Yeah, yeah. Which, <laughs> which is, yeah, that's another whole part of Redux. The whole time you're when you're learning, you're just like, why do I need this? Did it need, why do I need this either? Like... Uh, but then once you do it, I'm honestly, I, I had such a hard time conceptualizing why I needed any of this stuff in Redux because, uh, a lot of it was done more easily in the Meteor platform that I had at the time. But when I migrated to, uh, Redux specifically, uh, my application felt nicer and it felt like it was more structured and more in control. And I, I kind of resisted it for a long time. And then when I did, I was sort of like, oh, okay, I finally get what the benefit of it is. I get it. Uh, because I had to go through those like uh, trials of trials by fire or whatever to, to get there. 
but even as somebody that obviously understands it and has wrote a course about it at this point, you still ripped it all out of your code base, right? <laughs> uh, I ripped it out of my code base, but not because of any fault of Redux. Um, what happened was I was working on another project that I had migrated over. I never, never went to Redux at all, but I went from Meteor, which was like mini Mongo, which was mini Mongo is, is dope. It allowed you to basically call Mongo, MongoDB calls directly on the client side. Um, and there was like really good ways of making them secure if you wanted to do that. But um, I went from directly from mini Mongo to Apollo specifically because it was around the time that Apollo was starting to gain traction. And what I could see is I could see this huge shift in the Meteor team to everyone was working on Apollo now, not, not Meteor. And so I was thinking like, well, if they see this as such a huge thing, then like, what are they, what are they seeing? That's the future here that I'm, I'm not seeing. So let me take this project, a little side project and migrate it to Apollo just to give it a try. Um, so I migrated this project to Apollo and I, I sort of just like sat in awe of how much easier it made my life. And so when I looked at the level up tutorials code base, I was thinking, well, my, my data needs the way I pull in data, um, where I have playlists and tutorials and all these things, they, it could all be so much easier with these GraphQL queries. So I just said, screw it. I'm just going to write this whole, whole API portion of this in, um, Apollo. And for the most part, I've done that. There's like one or two meteor methods still on the site, but uh, the, largely the entire, like 99% of the API is in Apollo and uh, never looked back. So that's the only reason why I ripped Redux out was just because Apollo itself was so sort of game changing for me in terms of how I pull the data out that the fact that I was losing a, a store like Redux to maintain and keep everything um, ended up not being a huge deal. Most of my state is in data anyway. So um, yeah, no, it just comes in from Apollo and I'm, I'm very happy with that. And then I guess whatever doesn't fit in Apollo is in the context API. Yeah. So in it, and that was in Apollo until recently. Um, I, I shouldn't be changing the code so much, but um, I was running into some issues with testing with Apollo local state. So I decided I wanted to keep things in context because it, with hooks, context becomes really easy. You just say, hey, use context, import this thing, bingo, you got your values or your functions or whatever. It all just felt really nicely uh, when I when I tried it in the hooks course. I think that was when it convinced it, when I, I released a React, React hooks for everyone course. And um, I think that like right there convinced me to, <laughs> to use context with um, React hooks. And so I, I once again, ripped some stuff out, and here we have a full hooks-based uh, component context system now that powers everything. And if I ever want something to be local storage, I can just swap out that use state with like use local storage or whatever. It's just all, all awesome. I'm very, very into it. Yeah, I actually went through the the hooks course that you put out, and I really liked it. Um, it cool. definitely helped me kind of get my head around what the heck hooks are for and how to use them and all that. Yeah, so, uh, I appreciate that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the code base is I don't even know how many class based components I have left in level of tutorials. They say do not like refactor your code for hooks, but like I I did, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of it was because some of the code needed refactoring anyways, and it wasn't like well if I'm refactoring this anyways or I'm rewriting this or I'm reapproaching this problem, I might as well 
just make it into hooks while I'm doing it or just a function component. Um, we're in the middle of like a tremendous redesign right now. And that redesign comes with a lot of rethinking of what things are, what their, their structure, what they need to do. So, um, it's been a big, big project over here lately. Right. Um, so I wanted to change gears a little bit. We've been talking a whole lot about, uh, JavaScript and that whole universe. Yeah. Um, so as a couple of like new developers to, uh, web development, Eddie and I haven't really touched a whole lot of PHP. Mm. And as far as content management systems go, it seems like PHP is where it's at for that. So it depends. Yeah. I'm kind of curious, like what your thoughts are on CMSs and what we should pick up, because I feel like that's really holding us back from being able to jump out there and just do freelancing work. Mm. Because if we, if we don't know WordPress or something now, do we have to like roll our own solution or go look for some weird JavaScript like CMS or, or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. There's a lot of different directions, uh, that this can go because some of the, the PHP stuff, like I wouldn't necessarily worry about not knowing PHP. I'm, I'm very bad at PHP. Um, the most I did as I wrote like extensions for Magento or customized that a little bit, or, um, I I've never written a WordPress plugin. I hardly made modifications to WordPress, but I, I think I could. Um, the, you could get up and running with WordPress as a backend for any sort of CMS, whether it's a Gatsby Jamstack site, or if it's a, a just a, a backend for anything, you could get up and going with that without knowing any, any PHP whatsoever. Um, WordPress comes with a, a free API for their data. You install some plugins, you click around some stuff, and then you, you got your data popping out in the API and it could be really super duper easy. Um, that said, there is a bunch of, of good PHP stuff. Laravel out there is supposed to be amazing. I haven't used it. Uh, Drupal I used for a long time. And that was like my go-to CMS. I've heard that they are, are making a huge push in front, um, front end framework sort of influenced backend design. Um, that said, I don't know a whole ton about it yet. I, I, I wanted to dive in because I think they're really making themselves wanting to be a player in the headless space now. Uh, there's a lot of services too, which is a problem if uh, your your client doesn't want to pay recurring uh, costs for services. But like Contentful, um, Sanity, a lot of these ones were sponsors on Syntax, so I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, um, <laughs> parroting out sponsors. But a lot of these services are really, really great. So uh, just having that, those kind of services. Yeah, so um, kind of in the the JavaScript space, um, I know that there's like Netlify CMS, and I'm kind of curious if maybe you would recommend something like that or. Yeah, Netlify CMS is great, uh, but one of the one of my issues with Netlify CMS is that it's just, it feels a little technical to me. It's still modifying like files in a, a GitHub. Uh, I, I don't remember honestly if you can log into anything other than GitHub, like from GitHub, I think anytime that you're dealing with, uh, GitHub in general, it's not a place that your clients should, should be at any given point, you know, like the, I think the idea of Git or GitHub or any of that's going to scare away freelance clients. Yeah. So what would you recommend? Like as far as CMS is for somebody that's never touched PHP or anything like that? Yeah. You know, WordPress would still be, you, you could get WordPress up and running, like I said, without touching PHP or knowing a whole lot about it on services, uh, even wordpress.com, you can get access to their API. But again, 
these the best options are going to be the ones that you have to pay for because they're the easiest, right? Contentful, super easy. Uh, sanity, super easy. It's all very easy. Uh, but you know, it's it costs it costs money to use. Right. Um, so for the free ones, you're getting into needing probably at least some ability to get something off the ground. There is an option in Ghost. I haven't used Ghost before, so a uh, I can't. I don't want to say I haven't because I've installed it and I briefly looked at it. Uh, but Ghost is a Node-based publishing platform. They're saying it's like the Node version of WordPress is really what Ghost is. And yeah, um, they have like hosting options, but then you can also clone their stuff and just spin up your own instance, basically. Yep. And I I haven't used it mm. in a little while, but it looks great and it's always looked great. So uh, I might I might say check out Ghost. Um, it's a tough space because a lot of the times it's like, do your clients need a CMS? That was like a conversation we always had to have with some of our clients. Uh, when I worked at an agency it was really is, are you actually going to be updating this or do you think you're going to be updating this? Because if you're actually not going to be updating this thing, then do you need a database? No, you don't need a database. So uh, if, if you're going to be updating it once every, um, I don't know, once every year, it's probably going to be cheaper to just email us and tell us to do it than to have somebody who's capable of updating it or going to WordPress or whatever, or spend their time doing that. So um, there is a discussion to be had about whether or not they need it. If they do think they need it, they really need it, blah, blah, blah. Then, you know, WordPress is going to be my go-to regardless because the API is free. You can do everything with plugins, free, free, free. Um, and it can get really cheap. You can host the API on like a shared hosting plan and not have to worry about uh, cost really because the shared hosting plan is going to be super cheap. Um, so, you know, that's that's pretty much where I see it. it. It's a tough landscape and it's a landscape that's changing so much right now that I don't think there's like, here's the answer. I think there's a, a lot there. Okay, cool. So we had like a bunch of technical questions lined up, but then we have like yeah. some more fun stuff. Cool. So, um, first of all, I was like, curious about the dancing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like what, where did you get into break dancing? That, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Um, I don't, I saw it. Um, I think I had seen breaking before and, you know, it's just sort of like cool, uh, when I was in middle school or whatever, and there wasn't like a lot of break dancing anyways, or beat breaking is, is what we call it. Um, there wasn't a lot of breaking anywhere like on, uh, there's no YouTube. There's no way for me to watch it. It wasn't in a ton of movies. So it really like, it was just like one of those things you'd occasionally see and be like, oh, that's pretty cool. Um, and I, I remember some music video for the um, Crystal Method, name of the game, and there was some <laughs> breakdancing in it. Uh, the, I remember that one. Yeah. And I remember just being like, at the time I was a skater and I was just thinking like, I, that would be so cool if I could do some of that stuff. What's funny is that looking back on that music video, if I watch that music video today, I'm like, holy cow, that the guy's, I mean, it's not that he's not very good. He's not doing anything that's particularly hard. Uh, but at the <laughs> time I watched it thinking it was all like super uh, superhero stuff. And like today I could do everything in the video, little, you know, before I even stretched or warmed up or anything. And um, so I saw that video and I was just like, wow, this is just so, so cool. I want to learn how to do this. And then uh, right after that, I was at some concert, I think it was, uh, the Warp Tour, Lollapalooza, or one of these concerts, and it was in a big outdoor concert, and there was just a guy breakdancing, breaking in on a, a mat, and he was from the Rock City crew. His name's Easy Rock. Um, 
and he he's a he's really good he's been really good forever and ever he's he's not like uh he's definitely like past his his age right now he's not like still competitive but for his time which was like the early 90s he was you know maybe one of the best best out there in the early 90s and so being able to see somebody who was that skilled in person and it, i just like i went up to him at after he had like gotten done doing a thing. And I just like asked him about learning it. And he was like, he's like, every city has got like a spot. So just like find out where that is and just show up and people will teach you. Uh, and sure enough, there was a, a spot in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It was like a 30 minute drive from my house and they practiced three times a week. And uh, they just started sneaking me into practices because they were in a campus building that I couldn't get into. So they started sneaking me into practices <laughs> and I just learned it. And, uh, I went to school there the next year and I, I went to school with a whole bunch of breaking friends now. And like, I'm part of the group and it's just a big part of my life for a long time. We, we traveled around the U S and entering competitions and doing shows and all sorts of stuff. So are um, you still with that same group? Um, so that group was like really just like a campus group, but my freshman year at school there, I met a bunch of dudes, uh, and we became a crew and I'm still keeping touch with all of these guys. We all have tattoos for it. I mean, oh and these guys are, we, you know, we <laughs> battled and we went to competitions like all over the U S together. We drove, you know, we would drive like 12 hours to go to a competition and then drive right back when it was over. So, um, I've spent a huge portion of my life with these guys and they're all, they're all, uh, you know, my brothers and best, best friends. So, uh, uh, yeah, definitely keep in contact with the whole group. Only a couple of guys are still in like battling can battling condition at this point, or I'm sure if we, <laughs> we went back and got it together we'd be fine but um not everybody's still uh super active but people everybody still keeps in touch do you uh do you still compete um uh, the last competition i entered was a year and a half ago and i only entered it because there was like a student at the the studio i i practiced at who needed a partner for it so i entered with this high school kid it was fun um so i don't really compete but mostly just because I have found like a different passion for breaking that is like less competitive than I was before. Cause a lot of it in, in the past was like, I want to win everything. I want to be this and that, whatever. And we just, we won everything in Michigan and in a lot of sort not necessarily the Midwest because once you get into Chicago, it's, it's hard to win a whole lot, but we won like everything in our, our crew, you know, uh, was doing halftime performances for NBA and NFL and stuff like that. We, we, we were just like very, very competitive. And I, I got a concussion in 2012 and it Yikes. was hard to really feel that like fearlessness that you had doing some of the stuff you did before. Cause a lot of it is an upside down and on your head and spinning around. Um, and so now I'm in it a hundred percent for like just the, the passion of it, the fun, getting out there, hanging out with a bunch of friends and listening to music and um, trying creative things. It's like, it's like sitting down to paint a painting that you don't like have to have there. You're just, you're getting to do that sort of movement and it happens in one time. And that's the only time that that movement's ever going to happen because everything that we do in breaking is sort of freestyle and made up on the spot. Granted, we have our movements and our patterns and whatever, or our gymnastic stuff, but like, uh, for the most part, everything is made up on the spot, and it's a big lesson in 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 thinking on your uh, thinking on your feet 
and literally thinking on your feet and uh, just like experiencing <laughs> things as they happen in the time with the music. And uh, it's just a really interesting uh, outlet for creativity for me. Cool. Uh, do you have any other interests? Like uh, you mentioned Guitar World magazine. Do you play guitar? Or? Uh, I play guitar portly. Uh, <laughs> because I worked at the magazine, I have several guitars because you just get guitars when you work there. It's very weird. Not, not like they just hand them to you. They, they just... Uh, there's just opportunities to, to have guitars there. Um, like everybody had a guitar and an amp at their desk and everybody's playing. And so, um, you know, they, they get a lot of promos or whatever. And uh, I play guitar, but my primary instrument is the the drums. Um, I played piano for a long time. Um, let's see, what else do I play? I think that's pretty much it. I, I wrote a lot of music. I went to music school. So like music was definitely like a part of uh, my life for a long time. I'm not a very talented musician. I just enjoy it. <laughs> so uh, it's not something I was ever going to make a, a career out of. Um, but no, I have hobbies. I, I released a few albums a long time ago. I haven't released a lot of music lately. Uh, I, uh, I I play video games, not like a ton, but I play my Nintendo Switch a bunch. And um, I guess I, I, I go to the gym. And uh, I for a long time, I was watching a lot of 1970s kung fu movies uh like a lot <laughs> so like the, uh, the flying guillotine one or whatever yeah yeah like the flying <laughs> guillotine yeah there was a studio the shaw brothers studio they put out movies from like the 60s to like the mid 80s and um over that time they released like 900 films or something outrageous wow. so good lord yeah it well but they all weren't kung fu films a lot of you know okay. there was there was films of all genres but in terms of like the kung fu variety i've probably seen in the wuxia i've probably seen like 250 plus shaw brothers films and wow. so for a long time that was like definitely a hobby of mine would be to watch those or or you know i've several of them i've seen many times at this point so uh <laughs> You can even see one of the posters right there. Oh, wow. Look office. at that. There we are. Yeah. I have I have four uh, Shaw Pro posters, all original. All do you, do you want to throw out like a recommendation for anybody that's curious? Like what, um, what a really good one to jump on is? Yeah, the best the best one, uh, the like the best overall movie is probably The Five Deadly Venoms. I was just going to um, mention that. Yeah. Oh, Kill yes. Bill, right? Uh, yeah, there, there's like Kill, so Kill Bill like has so many references to just about a billion Shaw films. And even yeah. like the beginning of Kill Bill starts off with the Shaw Brothers emblem because it, the whole thing is just like uh. a, a, a like just a whole a nod to like a hundred different movies. So um, never knew that. Yeah, there's a there's a ton in there, and it's so funny because every once in a while I'll be watching some some Shaw film that I've never seen, and like a scene will happen, I'll be like, oh my gosh, <laughs> okay, so this is where <laughs> that's from. Okay, uh, you know. okay. Um, but yeah, the the Five Deadly Venoms is, is probably the best overall. And then um, the 36th Chamber of Shaolin is famous yeah. for its Wu-Tang connections. But 36th Chamber is an excellent movie. Uh, one of the ones I've seen just a billion times. So uh, those are two of the two of the absolute best ones. Definitely the most. My, my wife will watch the Five Deadly Venoms. I mean, if that gives you an idea, she, <laughs> wow. she hates watching most of them. Uh, I think she just tolerates it. <laughs> and gotcha. uh, this one she'll actually sit down and watch. I think some uh, of them so you, are on Netflix too. Yeah, I've cool. seen Five yeah, Deadly Venoms recently. Are some on Netflix, um, mm. which I um, I tend to to watch them whenever they come on a Netflix. Just even if it's one I've seen a whole bunch, just because um, Legendary Weapons of China, I think, was just one I just recently watched on Netflix. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I watched a bunch of. Um, oh, go ahead. 
that you mentioned that you had a switch before. I just wanted to to get Eddie to talk about um, Baba is You, which is Yo, like a really yeah. cool no, I don't Baba game. Is you. I ruined that the last time we talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's like a uh, man. That's probably even better than like Scratch or Exploder or whatever for getting kids to code because yeah. it's it's like super logic based and kind of like you're messing with variables when you're playing it. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Baba is you is uh you're like a bunny Baba and you is you. So you can think about that as like a variable assignment, right? And so this game has these really great graphics. It's almost like childish in a way, but you're uh, uh you start off essentially as a bunny and you're pushing around things whether or not it's actual letters to form these logic puzzles or if you say like rock is push then you can push the rock and and then it gets more and more complex until it it sort of descends into madness and it's so very hard at like it it is an awesome game every everything about it is awesome i'll spend like hours on some of these puzzles have you guys ever plugged that on syntax no no, I don't oh, think I've man. ever talked about it outside I'm, of. I'm so excited because we recorded an episode and and he tried to explain it and just totally I did a fell flat. Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> so I'm I'm super psyched that we got you to talk about it and Dude, explain it on. Your I'm head. a big big fan. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of that game. Uh, and and I knew it was going to be something that I'd like. I'm a big fan of those kind of puzzle games, anyways. But um, just the character of it all is what I I love about it. Awesome. Um, so I know we're we're running out of time, but uh, I had one more serious question that I kind of wanted to throw in there. Sure. Um, and that's, I know that listening to Syntax, like you went to school and I think you got some formal education in web design, right? Uh, I went to music school, so um, not necessarily any formal education in, in the stuff I'm doing today, I guess, other than talking into a microphone. Okay. Then how did you get into web design? Um, I had always done web stuff just through uh, through like building my band site in high school and my own personal website. And uh, I'd always just done basic HTML. And what I hadn't done is I hadn't done anything JavaScript-based. Or if I did, my first introduction to it was with ActionScript and Flash more so than anything else, trying to just create like fun animated animation things for your site in high school. And I just kind of kept those skills around. It was really... Um, an important thing when I was in school to have a personal website, sort of like talk about who you are and what you're doing. I went to school with a bunch of uh, high performers as, in, as far as uh, music goes. Uh, I can just, I can, like the people I went to school with are kind of outrageous right now. Like um, one of the guys pl- ended up playing guitar for 30 Seconds to Mars, which is Jared Leto's band, uh, oh, wow. very popular. And um, one of the guys, yeah, he's like one of my best friends. I graduated standing next to him and um, the girl I sat next to, uh, she got second place on The Voice on TV. Wow. And um, one of the other graduates, he's the he's like he's done mastering for stuff that's won Grammys. He's mastered all the Wolfpack albums. He's like all in that that scene. He's just brilliant. He has a, a awesome software company. And who else? One of the guys was in the show Glee, and then he was in some other stuff. Darren Chris, uh, just it's like. The, the the people that I graduated with all became very successful musicians or or people like that. So everybody had their own sort of personal branding and, and personal stuff like that. So I had to have a website like that to even make me stand out in some way <laughs> with those kind of people. 
Uh, and then one of my first programming classes there was uh, music programming we did with Max MSP. And I found out I was really good at it. Um, and to me, I think that was just like the, I don't know, it helped me realize that I was, I was good at programming because before then I didn't, I didn't know that I was capable of even doing this kind of stuff. But like one of the things, there's an instrument called a theremin that has like an antenna and a, a wave spot and you put your hand in and it goes, <laughs> it was like, uh, made for like sci-fi films and stuff. I mean, it's a brilliant instrument. Uh, but I made a theremin out of my webcam on my MacBook Pro by having it do video tracking, and I was moving this thing around, and my teachers were all like, "This is crazy, man! Like, what? Like, you made this?" I was like, "I didn't know I was. I didn't know I was capable of making cool things that other people thought were cool." Because um, to be honest, compared to the other people in my program, I was probably always underperforming compared to everybody else. So, like, that was like a moment for me to like stand out in a way that I hadn't stood out in, in, uh, my music classes before, but, um, I ended up, I got a job at guitar world for my, when I graduated. Right. Uh, but I turned it down. So I turned down that job at guitar world for like a permanent job because I had met my now wife and I like knew that like going long distance was like, not going to be a great thing. And so I made the decision. She like begged me not to make this decision, but I made the decision that I was just going to stick around in Michigan. And I, I kept a couple of odd jobs here and there. And, uh, which was really tough to tell them when I, I turned, I told, had to talk to my uncle and he was like, I'm like offering you a job. And I was just like, yeah, well, I'm going to be an accountant in Michigan. Cause I met some girl <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, that was the definite right answer. Cause you know, my wife is, inc is incredible and I ended up getting a bunch of odd jobs, but it led me to the agency that I ended up working at, you know, as an accountant, I worked at, a uh, the university of Michigan, turning on projectors, a bunch of odd jobs. And my wife made me like pick a job, like just pick something. And I was like, Oh, I'm good at programming. So I'll just do programming. And then when I actually like focused on something, uh, I had an agency job in like the next six months and uh, worked really hard at it. And, and the rest is history. I, I had my first agency job in March of 2011. And by March of 2012, we had started level up tutorials and that's like kind of wild. Wow. But, yeah. I started teaching like a year after my first job, but I've been doing websites for a long time, just not professionally. Wow. So music degree to accountant and then to yeah. web design, like somehow organically <laughs> I, I took the accounting job because it was like the first thing on the table and it was for a record label ghostly international is a really cool record label and uh i was a big fan of the label in general and it was sort of like a an interesting job and the way i saw it was like an intro to the music scene um their accountant didn't need to have like really an accounting skills it's like running royalties and entering data and stuff like that so it wasn't really a complex thing the company only had like 10 people working for it so uh, I wasn't like in over my head necessarily to just deposit checks and whatever. Uh, so I, I mean, I, yeah, I was an accountant, but it was like a very untrained accountant. <laughs> that That's really awesome because we're obviously both career changers. Like I was a fireman and a nurse, uh, Eddie oh, was nice. a designer. Um, and so that kind of led me to this question, which is if you had to start over today with like zero of your, uh, like credibility or your fame, uh, zero experience, like how would you go about becoming a developer? Yeah, I don't know. It's so much different now than when I, I started learning before. And I don't know if it's in my nature to be a little disorganized. 
uh, and learning. I, I would, my wife would probably say that it is in my nature to be that kind of disorganized. So I'm not sure if I would be good at coming up with a plan and then sticking to it and then executing on a large scale. I'm really good at sort of wandering through the forest to find my way through. Um, so if, if I were starting today, maybe not the way that I would do it, but the way that I would recommend doing it, um, would be to find educators that you enjoy and consume their content. When I first started learning web dev stuff, Jeffrey Way was teaching a lot of things on net tuts. I think it was, uh, I don't, I, maybe, uh, either way it was Jeffrey Way. And he would always start his videos with like, I am Jeffrey Way. Uh, his teaching <laughs> style was so perfect for me that I could just watch any of his videos and, and love them and just be very into it. And then there were some other ones like Code School. I was just really into the way that Code School, uh, there were several instructors, but now I think, uh, what's, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to look up his name. View School. Uh, he now does View School. Um, okay. And which is one of the reasons why I think View School's content is is really interesting. Uh, oh no, wait, is it View School? I'm making that up. Sorry, not View School. So, are you saying that you would do like a self-taught route? I would do a self-taught route um, because if you are able to find the 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 people that teach you or reach out to you in the right way then you don't need anything else other than people that, who, can, who can speak to you and get you going. Not only that, there's so much content out there, whether it is YouTube, if you wanted to do it fully for free, there's a ton of stuff for YouTube, but you're going to have to do a lot more digging. Um, if you want to invest in it, there's a lot of, uh, whether it's Egghead or, or Scotch or Level Up Tutorials or West Boss or whatever, there's a lot of content out there. And if you find that, that content that speaks to you, uh, I, that's the stuff to me that is, you know, will will drive you more than anything else is is having a resource that you can keep on going back to to fill that knowledge well up um, as you go. So for me, I would go free. I would, or not necessarily free. I would go self self taught, self trained. Um, but that's me. I, I'm the type of person who's going to dive into things. And if you're not the type of person who's going to be able to do that, like nine to five, I have no, I have no desire to play video games or, or do something else, right? My desire from nine to five is to web dev, web dev, web dev. And for me, that's just because I enjoy it so, so much. And I have to stop myself from doing it because I, I really love it. Uh, not everybody is going to be like that. You, some people need a, a directed here, do this, then this, then this, then this, then this, and here's the curriculum. And those kind of people will excel in that way. So it really, uh, my biggest suggestion in terms of how would you go about things today? My biggest suggestion is to uh, do some exploration and diving into yourself as to how you learn best and find the resources that, that nourish and, and can help and work with that. That's really solid advice. Um, what about as far as like getting a job? Would you look for a, like a corporation to work for? Or would you try and do freelance or an agency? Or what are your thoughts on that? I really liked working for agencies. Uh, I've only pretty much worked for agencies, but they've been at different sizes, anywhere from 12 person to 3000 person agencies. Um, so my agency experience is, is pretty vast compared to working at a, a startup or working at um, different, different companies like that. 
my opinion of it is is uh get you get a job get a get your foot in the door uh just apply to everything i'm, I'm a big fan of uh, applying and interviewing for everything M my whole thing is even like uh, um even if if you're not if you, if you go to the interview and you find out it's not the perfect job for you they offer you the job you can say no it's not the perfect job for me um so for me my my advice there is just to interview for everything apply to anything that seems like it could be remotely interested show up try to get the job and then if you do then figure it out um regardless of what it is awesome yeah and, and i guess when you're interviewing with them try and interview them back as much as possible right oh yeah to, to yeah, figure out if good. it would be a good fit for you exactly and that's really what an interview it should be it should be a conversation between uh the two parties i remember uh because I was a technology major at the School of Music, instead of having an audition where we played an instrument, we had to have an interview. And it was very much like a job interview. They're asking you all these things about uh, just, you know, your personality, essentially. But then me and one of the guys uh, doing the interview started just talking about a Sigur Rós album, if you're familiar with Sigur Rós. <laughs> and we just started talking about the Sigur Rós album in the middle of the interview, and then like 15 minutes had gone by. And like I had known that point, like that they liked me because he, he just kept engaging the convert. He was, a, it was a conversation. He was happy. He would remember that, you know, it was like something that he was interested. So again, an interview should really just be a, a back and forth in a conversation. I really hate it when interviews are just sort of like, let me sit back and grill you on some questions, you know, um, <laughs> it's not for me. <laughs> well, hopefully we haven't done that to you. <laughs> no, no, no. I interview. Well, this kind of interview is a very different, I'm talking about like a high stakes job interview or something. Right. Right. Cool. So uh, I think that's all we have for like technical questions and the really um, the, the difficult stuff. Um, so I just kind of want to like, first of all, give you a chance to maybe advertise for any of the courses that you got coming out recently. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, so all my stuff's over, uh, at, over at leveluptutorials.com. And uh, we release a new course every single month. The course for April was Animating React, which is probably the course I'm the most proud of maybe ever uh, because wow. I love animating React. Uh, animation in React, animation specifically, is just something I'm very into. Um, somebody commented that like, they knew it was going to be a good series when they could see how excited I was about this little animation on the front page of the React Spring <laughs> website, that I was just so geeking out on that little animation that they knew it was going to be a good series. Because like that's the kind of stuff I, I geek out about, and I love it. So um, if you want to learn about animating React, head on over to leveluptutorials.com, and you can sign up to become a pro, get access to that, as well as a new course every month. Awesome. Man, you have practiced that so much that it just rolls <laughs> off. There, there's like some things I, I, I can just say like uh, without even thinking of this is Scott with a little tutorials. Thank you so much for watching. I'll see you in the next one. Like, hey, what's up with this guy with a little tutorials? Like, just go to town on this stuff. My, my mouth just does it. That's amazing. Yeah, I know um, that you're, you're way into the animation and I can tell because of that like silly pop-up card thing that happens on Level Up Tutorials. Oh, yeah. I can only oh, imagine yeah. the hours that went into that. <laughs> that little, the little dip. It does a little dip. Uh, just wait till you see the new level up site that we're working on right now. It's uh, jam-packed full of really nice little animations and little fun things here and there. Little delights, I guess you could call it. Yeah, I checked out the uh, the staging link that you sent out. Oh, yeah. And, and kind of yeah. looked at it. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, the staging link is probably super out of date now uh, because oh, okay. uh, we've been, Epic and I have been working... Um, 
so hard on this thing. By the way, so uh, those of you who don't know, we have a, a Slack chat room and you can sign up for it for free. It's in the footer of Level Up Tutorials. But in the Slack chat room, uh, there's a guy named Epic. Epic is uh, a long friend of mine. Uh, I've known Epic for a very long time. He's been in my breaking crew um, for a very, very long time. He and I went uh, entered some really cool battle in um, New York together a long time ago and lost to some guys from Poland. <laughs> but oh, wow. so he and I go way, 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 way back. And he is now the, um, he's now a dev on leveluptutorials.com. So, um, yeah, it's a funny story. Awesome. Um, so I, we usually close out the show just by talking about like whatever nerdy stuff we've been into and we kind of call it nerd minute or whatever. Sure. So, um, is there anything that you've kind of like movies you've seen or do you follow like game of Thrones or any of that stuff or. Yeah. Let me think. Um, even like switch games that you like um, sky's the limit <laughs> yeah sky's the limit um let's see i think uh, one thing i'm 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 really into right now on the um uh what was i gonna say where should i go it went somewhere <laughs> <laughs> totally not editing this out <laughs> leaving leaving this in <laughs> Sorry, we do so many sick picks. My brain is like going with all my sick picks. What was I going to say? I had something in my brain and now it's it's gone. Um, Man, you had a sick pick picked out for us that I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, man, I don't know. Somebody want to go first and then I will I will pick it up. Did you have something, Lee? Uh, I just saw like the most recent Game of Thrones episode. I was I was okay. kind of disappointed about it, but I don't want to spoil it if Scott doesn't follow that or doesn't watch. Or... Oh, I watched. Yeah, I watch it. Um, yeah, I. You know what? I think I've always had the expectation that it was not necessarily a little campy, but the show's like a little so uh, soap soap opera esque or something. So like a lot of people are mad about this season, and I guess I I just. I guess I just it doesn't bother me that none of none of the things have bothered me that much. There's have you there, seen the most recent one? Yeah, I've seen all of them, and there's like there's just large plot holes all over the place. But like, yeah, absolutely. For some reason, it just doesn't bother me. Like I'm I'm very into I want to say the visual spectacle of it all, and maybe that's why I'm I'm maybe less invested in the story and more invested into the the spectacle. Uh, and therefore, it doesn't bother me as much. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I get surprised. I, I guess I'm not surprised when people are angry about it because I, when I watch an episode, I can notice the parts where I'll be like, all right, this is going to get complained about tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I, I can very I can be very confident about that. You did, know. did you feel that about uh, Daenerys coffee? going like oh. off the rails? Okay. No, because I can see that coming from like three seasons ago. I thought she was going to yeah. go off the rails a long time ago. Yeah, huh. I, I think it's totally in her nature. She's been burning people. I mean, she's she's always been into... She's always been like slightly on the edge, and then people have been like pulling her back in a little bit. True, true. I thought you were going. Yeah, with did the you have cup. something? No, I thought you were going with the coffee cup when you brought up the uh, the thing you just mentioned. Um, no, I don't. Really oh, have did you see the coffee cup, Scott? Yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of an egregious production mistake, but that should happen. <laughs> <laughs> like, did you catch it during the episode? No, I didn't. I didn't know. I saw it afterwards. I couldn't believe that it was real. People were like so mad at Game of Thrones. Oh, they're going frame God. by frame through it, looking for stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's how it's always going to be. And I was telling my wife, it's like no matter how how 
bad the season is or whatever, like it was never going to be accepted because you can't possibly meet exceptions of something that's oh, this yeah, hyped. They, it's yeah. never going to happen. You are never going to meet exception or you're never going to meet the hype. And and I just think that it's very true, even if the series or the season would have been better. I, I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that could have been better about it. They should have done it over the course of two seasons. They should have done it over the course of three seasons. Who knows? But like, I don't know. It is what it is. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah, they've, they've like, built it up so much at this point that it's kind of hard to to get the appropriate payoff for stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's definitely where I see it. I guess I'm, I'm able to see it from a different lens because I'm not that invested in the story, even though I've watched it since, you know, I start, I've been watching it forever and ever. The I think we started watching it the first season and then my wife didn't like it. Uh, but then she picked it back up and then we rewatched it. So I've seen like more than half the half of it twice. So, <laughs> oh, wow. um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what did you uh, think about like the death of, of Cersei? Because that was very underwhelming for me. I didn't yeah. Like I'm not entirely all. convinced that she is dead. Not really. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't put anything into that just because the death was so like lame you know she got buried (laughs) or whatever but uh it was it was fine yeah i don't i don't know to to me it's like there's there's a billion ways they could have done it and it happened as it it happened so i i have to accept that and live with it and that's just the way it is i don't know (laughs) yeah the uh the biggest like wow and and awesome moment for me in that episode was uh the the hound fighting the mountain yeah, that, they like yeah. Really, that one was awesome. But the rest of it was I could take or leave. That was funny because it was like that was like a, a long hyped moment, right? And yeah. they actually did it really well, and it paid off. And um, that whole that whole arc with Arya and him, like that whole thing, paid off very well. And you know, she's running through the city, and she looks terrified and whatever. It's the first time she's not like crazy. Um, she looks like human. She's not like a yeah, psycho she's not a, super assassin. Human, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> So it was like the whole thing was, I, I thought that that whole bit was a big payoff and that whole storyline was great. Um, I don't know. It's going to end in one more and, and everyone will move on to something else, I guess. We'll see. Um, but as far as, uh, let's see, as far as um, things I'm geeking out, out on, I'm geeking out on something that I don't have in my hands yet. And I'm watching a lot of content for it. And I'm just can't wait till it gets here, which is Super Mario Maker 2. Oh, uh, really? We, we played Super Mario Maker constantly. We played it like my wife and I for the Wii U. We played it all the time. And we would play it so that she would do the first quarter of a level. I would do the next quarter. She would do the next quarter. And then we would we would just create these levels that were, were so much fun. And uh, I'm just pumped for it. I played the life out of that game. And I'm going to continue. So I've been, I'm watching all of these Game Explained videos, like looking at all of the in this frame we noticed this and this and this and oh man you're one of those people that like nerds out about the specific behavior of certain blocks and stuff. oh yeah i'm pumped for it yeah i'm i'm like thinking about all this stuff i'm going to create with all the new new themes and all that stuff yeah i i would have in another life i would have loved to be a game designer game developer and i always say that like uh if for some reason i ever have like a windfall and i like don't have to to work to earn money i'm going to be spending all of my time creating a spiritual successor to cruise in the USA because that's oh all I God. really want to do. <laughs> I'm like, this game has no market. Uh, did you, I, did you play the as the school bus? What's that? Did you play as the school bus? Yeah. Is that your, my, is that your um, whip? <laughs> I, I did play this. It's, it's funny that you say that because 
my general strategy in video games, uh, and, and to much of most people's annoyance, is to pick the most irritating characters. Um, <laughs> if it's Mario Party, I'm like blooper or... Um, there's like some characters that just, they either make annoying noises or they're like super large and the latest Mario tennis, I'm always chain chomp cause the chain chomp is ridiculous and huge <laughs> and just like distracting. Uh, so like my strategy is just to be like annoying character. So like if there's a school bus, I'm the school bus. If there's just some obnoxious car, I'm that car. Uh, I think there was like a, a flatbed or like an army truck in one of the crews in the USA. I think it might be cruising the world. There's like an army truck that's just monstrous. And, and I love that thing. Yeah. I don't remember what the other one, there was like some other silly vehicle from cruising world or cruising USA or something. There's a whole uh, there. Yeah. It's like a, there's a three wheeler one. Um, my friend and I, we used to play this all the time in college, even though this game was super old at this point. I mean, like the PlayStation three was out and we were playing cruising for, uh, for N64, N64, but we yeah. would just like pop into each other's room and we'd be like, you want to cruise? All right. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the leaderboard, it was just like all of our, our names. And we were just like, we had all custom nicknames for the, the cities and stuff like that. It's totally ridiculous. I have a huge love for cruising in the USA <laughs> and all of its, its subsequent, uh, Sequels. Were you guys big on on Goldeneye too? On, on yeah, yeah, definitely in like high school, middle school. Were you always Odd Job or Jaws? No, no, I don't think I love <laughs> my. Uh, I think we probably had rules against that. I was always Baron Samity because uh, he's got the top hat. He's sort of weird looking. Yeah, I think we were always like Odd Job when I played, and it was like four Odd Jobs running around or oh, something. God. It was super funny. <laughs> cool. So I haven't actually played uh, the first Super Mario Maker. Oh yeah, it's uh, great. Mario just kind of kicks my butt, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think the last Mario I really seriously played was probably like Super Mario Sunshine or something like that. Oh, yeah. The oh, new one's great. Yeah. Very good. 3D World's really good. Uh, yeah, definitely. W- which one was that? Was that for it's on the Wii 3DS? U. Wii U. Oh, the Wii U. Yeah, okay. yeah my wife and I played that That's the one where he has the bee suit or something? Say that again? Cat suit. Was, oh, I guess cat there was suit. a bee suit as well, maybe. Or was that no? That was one? the cat suit on the. Yeah, I don't the... know. They're... I'm so behind on them at this point. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, um, I guess we we can uh, we can kind of wrap it up there. I'm sure Scott wants to to get back to his life. <laughs> but uh, thank you so so much for yeah, uh, taking the time much. to, to oh, yeah. hang out with us. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Tech Junior. Thanks for joining us. Uh, head on over to techjunior.dev for the archive of all of our shows. You can also check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Spotify, or if you're old-fashioned, just add our RSS feed to your favorite app. You can also check us out on Twitter. My handle's at Lee Warwick Jr. Eddie is Ed Otero, E-D-0-T-E-R-0. And make sure to follow the show at Tech Junior Podcast. Special thanks to Scott Tolinsky for joining us today. Uh, you can follow Scott on Twitter at stolinsky. That's S-T-O-L-I-N-S-K-I. Also check out his awesome tutorials at leveluptutorials.com. And listen to Scott's own podcast, Syntax.fm, uh, that he co-hosts along with Wes Boss. Uh, just want to shout out real quick to Syntax. Um, super, super helpful show that definitely helped me uh, level up as a developer and really wrap my head around a lot of concepts. So 
big, big thanks to Scott and Wes for uh, doing that and paying that stuff forward. So check them out at syntax.fm and add them on your favorite podcast app. Keep an eye out for the next Tech Junior episode in about a week. And it's probably going to be on developers and musicians and kind of how those two tie into each other and maybe parallel each other a little bit. All right. I'll leave you guys to it. Bye.